Acts chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to pay attention to your word this morning. Fix our hearts on what you have to say. Give us the conviction that this is the most important thing we can do is to hear your word. Father, we know that as soon as Adam was created, you blessed him and said to him, be fruitful and multiply. Man never existed without the word of God. Don't let us try to exist without it today. Fill our hearts. Let the good seed of your word grow up and produce fruit a hundredfold. Help me to speak boldly and accurately what is in this text to your people. We ask these things, Father, in the name of your Son, the great prophet who teaches us. Amen. Well, many of the subjects you hear me speak about are subjects that you feel that you know a bit about. Whether doctrine, justification, adoption, sanctification, the Christian life, parenting, how to set up your day in a way that honors God, Many of you have been doing those things for decades, reading, studying, learning, practicing. But today's subject is one that you know very little about and that I know very little about. And that's the subject of persecution. Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. Remember, the previous chapter ends with Stephen getting stoned. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And stoning, remember, is you take big rocks and you throw them at somebody until he dies. You just kind of smash him in with rocks. Well, that's what happened to Stephen. And that's what our text this morning addresses. The effect of persecution. Persecution is a positive in that it's an essential part of how the church grows. And persecution is a negative because it scatters the church. And, you know, need I say this, add this, persecution therefore is a mixed reality. It is bafflingly selective. It's not the only face that the world turns toward the church. It's good for us, it's bad for us, it happens unevenly. And it's not the only element of the Christian life. Far from it, right? As most of us know, it's possible to live as a Christian for a long time and experience that much persecution. Almost none. So let's look at what this text has to say. The first, of course, the first element highlighted is the negative. Persecution scatters the church. At that time, a great persecution arose and they were all scattered. What's the persecution? Well, it's described as being arrested being dragged off to prison in verse 3. 
Persecution, the Greek word means to hunt, chase, drive away, or banish. So this is what happens to the early Jerusalem church. It may have been a few weeks, a few months after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection and the ascension, and now the Sanhedrin, the powers that be, decide this is not something we want in Jerusalem. And so they scatter the church. What does that tell us? Well, the natural posture of the church is to be gathered. Any of you who have watched the wildlife documentaries, spent any time out hunting, what does everybody know? If you know nothing about predators and prey, you know this. The predator goes for the weak, the sick, the straggler, the one who is at the tail end of the herd and not in the main body. There's safety in numbers. We've all heard it. We've all seen the television shows where the lion comes after the one that's at the end of the herd. That is also the reality of persecution. Persecution takes the herd and just sends the cue ball, as it were, rolling into it and sends everybody scattered far apart from each other. This key word scatter, interestingly, appears in the other Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, where Jesus quotes from Zechariah and says, You will all fall away from me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Matthew quotes him saying that. Mark quotes him saying that. Luke does not quote him saying that. Luke doesn't mention being scattered, as applied to the church, until right here. Persecution comes and scatters the church. Last time Luke used the word was in chapter 1 of his gospel. In the Magnificat, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their thoughts. It's not just something that happens to the wicked. The church needs to hang together to be a flock. There's safety in numbers. When we're gathered, we are protected. When we're scattered, the lions and the wolves Pick us off. So at the very least, what is Luke saying? Don't do the devil's work for him. Come to church. Don't be an agent of scattering the flock. One who says, well, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. I'm just as safe running half a mile behind the herd as I am in the center of the pack. Persecution comes and the stated goal, right? We're trying to disrupt the worship of God. We're trying to stop these people from teaching and believing and practicing this sect that we don't like. And therefore, the thing to do is separate them from each other. Scatter them. Show them that there is a penalty attached to practicing this faith. That's persecution. Persecution not only scatters the church, the negative persecution spreads the church. The positive, verse 4, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So where does it spread them to? Well, everywhere, Luke says, but he tells us actually they were scattered to Judea and Samaria. Clearly, he's taking off what he said in the beginning, that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because otherwise, this is a very odd way of speaking. Where is Jerusalem? 
There were a certain number of provinces in the Roman, or certain regions in the Roman province of Palestine. One of them was Galilee. That's where Jesus was born, or where he grew up. One of them was Judea. And in Judea lies, of course, Jerusalem. So to say the apostles were scattered from Jerusalem to Judea, it's kind of like saying the church was scattered from San Diego to California. What? They were already in California. They were already in Judea. How are they scattered from Jerusalem to Judea? Well, Luke is just putting the keywords in as blatantly as he can to tell us they had to leave the city of Jerusalem and they were going out into the rest of the, the territory that surrounded Jerusalem. So what was the upshot? People with first-hand knowledge of Jesus went to Judea, another region within this Roman province of Palestine was Samaria, home, of course, to the famous Samaritans. God's people went there, and the rest of the chapter is about, well, the next part of the chapter is about witnessing to the Samaritans. Persecution scatters the church, persecution spreads the church, and everywhere they went, they preached, or the word is literally evangelized, the word. God's people came to these other two regions, to Judea and Samaria, and there they were bearers of good news. We get to be bearers of good news. Some of that good news is about what we personally have experienced. Some of it is about what's in the book. But both sides of it are good news. There's a challenge for us here. Does the good news about Jesus go wherever you go? Or do many of the places where you go, do you leave no trace? Do you try to conceal as much as you can that you know any good news? There are all kinds of conversational gambits. Some weather we're having. How about that NFL? I can't believe the French are mad at us again. Or whatever you want to bring up. But at the very least, surely Luke is encouraging us, don't hide that you're a Christian. Right? Don't self-censor references to the Lord, to prayer, to church, to the Ten Commandments. It's okay to preface it with, in my tradition... Or leaders in my faith community say, if you really want to sound strange, but you don't hide your light. Those who are scattered went everywhere trying to pretend that they weren't Christians. Those who were scattered went everywhere and it made absolutely no difference. That's not what Luke tells us. They went everywhere and there was good news on their lips. Right? I encourage you to hide your politics, your medical views, your immigration status, your vaccination status, the size of your salary, the contents of your bank account. Those things are not good news to anyone except you. So keep it to yourself. But the Bible encourages us 
not to keep to ourselves the public career and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. You don't have to preach a sermon to everyone you meet. But if you've somebody you've worked with, been around, participated with in various events, doesn't know that you're a Christian, something is a little bit wrong. I think that at the very least, Luke is telling us that. Right? People are going to look at your car and try to guess how much money you make. That's how the world works. Don't make them try to scrutinize your clothing and guess what religion you profess. That's not how this should be. Also, it's news. They went everywhere with good news. You don't consider it your job to convince other people that the news you relate is not fake news. They don't want to believe it. That's their problem. But you don't have to defend it and present lots of arguments that this news is genuine news. If you don't believe me, there are many sources. You can go look it up. And so it is with the news about Jesus. You simply mention it as a fact because it is. Now that said, Luke doesn't tell us anything, anywhere, that the apostles encouraged ordinary Christians to go out and evangelize. That then the apostle Peter returned to Jerusalem and organized the door-knocking campaign to make sure that everyone on their street had heard. It doesn't say that. In fact, what does Luke tell us? God's people didn't start, ordinary people didn't start evangelizing until they were already refugees. Displaced persons, as the UN calls them today. When you've already lost your home. When you've already lost your community. When you've been expelled from your synagogue and are in a refugee camp or trying to find another place to live where you won't be hauled off to jail, that, Luke seems to be saying, is when you've finally lost enough that you consider it worthwhile to speak. In one sense, you don't know how important Jesus is to you until you've proven it to yourself. Well, I didn't really know whether I was willing to leave the synagogue for Jesus. I guess I was. I didn't really know whether I was willing to lose my job for Jesus. To lose my home for Jesus. But I guess I was, and therefore, maybe I should talk about him a little more. You ever notice this? People like you better after they do something nice for you. Once you put somebody out a little bit, they think better of you, right? If you ask someone to give you a ride to the airport, they like you more once they've done something good for you. Well, brothers and sisters, we like Jesus more once we've sacrificed for him in a tangible way. When we've given him time, we wouldn't otherwise have given him. When we've given up something, we wouldn't otherwise have given up. It's almost like it proves to ourselves, oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord. I guess I do love Him enough. When you're already homeless, you've got less to lose. Evangelism doesn't look so scary anymore. 
when you're going to jail anyway, maybe you no longer care so much about whether the world perceives you as a fanatic. The church went everywhere evangelizing. A lesson for us. But not until persecution was so hot that they were forced out of their hometown. Another lesson for us. What did I say? Luke presents the mixed status of persecution. It's a negative. It's a positive. It's a mixed bag. There's not a cost-free method of evangelism. I think that would be something he's trying to tell us. Persecution not only is a negative and a positive, but it's also selective. Luke highlights that here too. There was one killed. One. Stephen is killed. Many arrested. Saul enters every house and dragging off men and women commits them to prison. Many arrested. Not just a few here and there. This is what I've read today as far as I can tell. Martyrdom continues to be actually a very rare event. Most people, including in the most violent and evil regions, are not getting killed for their faith. They're suffering for their faith. But just as here, it's not the case that most Christians are going to taste martyrdom. One of my seminary classmates, for instance, had been a pastor in Africa, in Eritrea, Africa's Gulag state. He was imprisoned in a shipping container out in the sun for a couple of years before he was able to escape and come to the United States. But there was no, no question of martyring him. That was not something that his persecutors wanted to do. They were happy to imprison him, and then after he left, they caught his family and put them in another shipping container in the sun. And it took over a year to find means to free them. But again, they didn't kill him. They just imprisoned him. Persecution is bafflingly selective. And the apostles apparently are undisturbed. They are all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And Luke just drops this tantalizing hint. Why? How did the apostles not go? Calvin has a long section on how the apostles were faithful pastored shepherds fighting off the wolves who didn't desert their post, but Luke doesn't really actually say that. He doesn't tell us whether they were arrested, whether they fought off wolves, whether they were staying at their post, or whether they were of such high status that they couldn't be touched. He's telling us that persecution treats different people differently. The person who sits in the pew behind you might go to prison. You might experience nothing. The person in the row in front of you might lose their job. Whereas you might get shot. Some get it in the neck. Some get it in the pocketbook. And some apparently don't get it at all. That can be very frustrating to a certain cast of mind. I want to know what's going to happen to me. I want to know what's going to happen to my church members. But all we can say is, surely there are many faithful pastors 
in various places, but only some are arrested. Surely there are many faithful in churches in China, and only some have been bulldozed. Why the message that persecution is so selective? Well, what is Luke saying? Put your trust in God. You don't know how this reality will come to you or if it will come at all. But you do know that you're in the Lord's hands. And that you might be Stephen or you might be John. Stephen the first martyr, John the only apostle to die a natural death. So far as we know. Finally, persecution is not the only aspect of the world's relationship to the church. Some of you have told me about dealings with various believers who seem to have a persecution complex. I remember in particular hearing about uh, one brother in Sheridan County with a big junkyard. He was contacted by Sheridan County and told, you need to clean up your junk. And what did he respond with? I'm a Christian and you're persecuting me. No, persecution is not the only face that the world turns toward the church. If the world is telling you to do something and you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that the world is trying to get you or to persecute you. You see, Luke says, devout men carried Stephen to his burial. I always assumed that that was Christians. Christians buried Stephen. The commentators say, look at how Luke uses the word devout men elsewhere in his Elsewhere in his books. It's always a reference to Jewish men. Devout Jewish men, you know, people from the same party that had just stoned him, carried him to his death and cried and wailed loudly over him. Maybe they were sad that he had apostatized. Maybe they had a secret sympathy for his courage. It it doesn't say why they carried him to his death. But they did. They were there at the funeral. In fact, they organized the funeral. They were the pallbearers. The world is not always out to get us. And if we say, they gnashed their teeth at Stephen and hurled big rocks on him till he died. And then the next day, people from that same group put together a funeral and gave him a very decent, honorable, respectful funeral. Genuinely mourned for him. How do we put that together? Again, persecution is a mixed bag. Be ready to be respectful back to the world. Be ready to recognize that, you know, if the state tells you to get the junk out of your yard, that's not persecution. So what is Luke's point overall? Persecution is a mixed bag. It happens. It's compatible with the reign of Christ. Jesus is really in charge. Jesus is really reigning. Even when his servants are killed. Even when they're arrested. Even when they're driven out. And he leverages that for good. He uses it to spread the church as well as to scatter the church. And he also uses it to... To say something good about the enemies, devout men carried Stephen to his burial. 
So don't get the martyr complex. Don't decide, oh, I'm definitely going to be killed. Poor me. The martyr complex is not right even for martyrs. The point here is that Jesus reigns. In persecution, in suffering, however it strikes or doesn't strike, Jesus is still in charge. Trust him. Know that his rule is good. That submitting to him is worth whatever amount of suffering it brings your way. Let's pray. Father, we know that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. Help us to be prepared for persecution, to armor our hearts knowing that it is positive, that it's negative, that it's a mixed bag. Help us to honor Jesus as Lord and to know that even if we're persecuted, that's not a sign that Jesus is failing to reign. Rather, it's a sign that he is reigning and that he wants us to trust him and talk about his good news. Lord, don't let us hide our light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.